Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, As Kyle just said, my name is Dallas. Um, I've been coming to the church uh, about since April of last year, um, and I'm super excited to be up here with you guys today. Um, So just to kind of start, I want to ask a question. Have you guys ever attempted to complete a task or to do a, a, you know, something in which you didn't have the proper tools to complete that task? Along the lines of, have you ever eaten yogurt with a fork? Um, that's an interesting one. I remember in college, it was a snow day and I didn't have a sled, so I tried to use a, a cookie sheet. Um, that one didn't work so well, but college kids are pretty ingenious when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, one specific example I, I kind of think of it in this is when I moved into my current apartment back in October. So the place where I had been living was fully furnished. So I had a bed, I had a dresser, all the furniture I needed was provided by my landlord. And so as I was beginning to move into this apartment where I had nothing, I was like, okay, I have no furniture. I have no bed, but I'm moving today and hopefully I can find somewhere where I can purchase a mattress today. Because if not, I'm going to be sleeping on the floor tonight. So that afternoon, I dropped off all my stuff, made a trip to Ikea uh, with Tanner and Chandler, because that's the place you go. And so we're at Ikea, I was able to to get a bed, I was able to get a mattress, and I was like, okay, this is looking great. I'm actually gonna have a bed to sleep in, this is gonna be awesome. So got home, and at that point, I wasn't really feeling very well, so my thought is, hey, let's just get the bed set up, I'll have somewhere to sleep tonight, and then I can deal with the other furniture at another point when I'm feeling a little better. And so I began to pull out the approximately 12 million pieces that come in an Ikea box <laughs> and began to put this bed together. And I'm about halfway through and, you know, it's going as well as you can expect with Ikea furniture. And at that point I realized, okay, I need a Phillips head screwdriver. And up to that point all I had was a flat head. Well, I was actually borrowing it from Chandler, so I didn't even have that. But I'm trying to put this bed together and I, I'm realizing I need, an, I need a, another screwdriver and I don't have it. And so I was like, I can make this work. I'll just use the flathead. I'm a strong, independent male. I can make this happen. It's going to be great. Challenge accepted. And so I began to attempt to use the incorrect tool for the task. Four hours later, and I am still sitting on that floor, but I am so stubborn at this point. I'm like, I'm not giving in. Like, I'm going to make this happen. But at that point, I was feeling so terribly. I was like, I just need to get this done. So I walked five minutes to the store. That's all it was, and I did But walked five minutes to the store, got the correct screwdriver, I came back, done in 20 minutes. So I was like, oh man, just goes to show that if you have the proper tools to complete a task, it's gonna go a little bit better, which makes sense, but oftentimes we're stubborn in that and, and try and use the incorrect tools for the task. And so, kind of transitioning off that, the, the character I'm gonna to unpack with you guys today um, is Jeremiah. Um, so if you have your Bible on your phone, whatever, if you want to flip to Jeremiah 1, um, we're going to be looking at verses 4 uh, through 10 and kind of unpacking the call of Jeremiah. Um, and as, as you guys are flipping there, just to provide a little background on who is Jeremiah, kind of the, the background of the time frame that we're looking at here. It, it's around 627 B.C. Is, is around the time when Jeremiah is first called by God. Um, and Jeremiah is the son of a priest in the land of Judah. So at this point, the land of Israel had already fallen um, in their sinfulness. God had brought judgment upon them. 
and Judah was rapidly approaching that point themselves, but up to that point, God hadn't, hadn't brought that judgment just yet. And so God was calling Jeremiah to step into this place of warning, almost, where he's bringing this word to the people of Judah, hey, you, you guys need to correct your behavior, or you're going to end up just like your, your neighbors in Israel. And so that's kind of where we're at, kind of setting the, the stage here um, for Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah was the son of a priest, so he kind of been raised for this, um, you know, this moment. And, and so um, let's take a look kind of together in verse 4, um, and it should be up on the screen here. Um, so starting in verse 4, the, the word of the Lord says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So in that, I think there's so many different things you can kind of unpack uh, here kind of with that, that call of Jeremiah. But there are kind of three things that stood out to me. Um, and we can kind of walk through them together. And the first is kind of the way God approaches the call of Jeremiah. Is he, he begins with this baseline of reminding Jeremiah who God is. And so in verse 5, God is setting up this idea that God knew Jeremiah deeply. God knew Jeremiah before he was in the womb and set him apart for a specific purpose. He's reminding him, hey, Jeremiah, I am the creator. I know you so well. I know you better than you know yourself. And I think that's such a cool place for us to start because he didn't begin with this list of, okay, hey, you need to go do this, this, and this. And here are my expectations for you. Go do them. Good luck. But he started with this reminder of, here's who I am to you. I'm your father. I'm your creator. And kind of everything that I'm going to call you to do is going to be based out of this deep knowledge that I have of you. And I love kind of looking at the, the wordage here. Um, so the word formed that was used in, in verse 5 uh, in the Hebrew is actually the Hebrew word yada. And this word yada suggests something more than just a, a knowing, you know, more than a, I know someone that I meet. It's a more intimate level of relationship there, to the point where it's, it's used back in Genesis uh, to refer to the relationship between a man and wife. So it's this sort of relationship that has an embedded commitment into that relationship. So that's what God is saying when I formed you. I took commitment of you, is what God is telling Jeremiah, and, and kind of uses that as the platform for this call that he's eventually going to give to Jeremiah. So kind of moving from there, so we've set the stage, um, and the next step that we kind of move towards is God is calling Jeremiah despite his weaknesses. So because God knows Jeremiah, he knows his, his strengths, he knows his weaknesses, he knows all of that. And yet he still calls Jeremiah for this specific purpose, even though he, God knows that Jeremiah is going to have objections. God knows that there are going to be parts where Jeremiah is not up to scratch, but he called him despite that. Because God knows that he's going to be able to lend his strength to Jeremiah to accomplish the purpose he set for him. And I, so I'm a, I'm a salesman. I, I work for the Timbers. I work for the Thorns. And, and so what I'm doing every day is I'm making phone calls. I'm, I'm calling people, hey, how was your experience? How would you enjoy the match? You know, that sort of thing. And so it's, 
I can kind of really relate to um, how Jeremiah reacted to this call of God in this moment. Because, um, you know, I, I think of one specific example from like a month ago, I was calling someone for Thorns tickets. And so I said, hey, Dallas with the Portland Thorns, how you doing? And just immediately, they begin to fire off, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have time. Or, or we don't have the money to come out to the games. And, and they're just, they're firing these objections rapid fire, three in a row. And I'm like, I haven't said anything to you. I'm not trying to sell you anything. We haven't talked about anything. For all you know, I could be calling and offering you a chance to, to play with the team. You don't know. You don't know what I'm doing. But it's just such a, a natural human reaction to begin to throw out objections. You know, and, and so... Jeremiah immediately in verse 6 is saying, I'm not worthy of this purpose. I'm not old enough. I don't have the skill. And God is like, no, I knew that. I knew these shortcomings when I called you, and I called you anyway. And so at that point, the, the question kind of transitions a little bit. It's not, is Jeremiah worthy? Or is Jeremiah talented enough for the call? Because God knows all of that and called him anyway. So this idea becomes, will Jeremiah answer the call? It becomes a question of obedience. So it's no longer about worth. It's no longer about talent. It's simply, will I say yes to God? And so that's kind of where, where we find that. And Jeremiah puts his yes on the table. And that's when you, you kind of see this third observation that God is faithful to provide his strength. So that's where God's going to step in. He's going to step into that weakness, into that area of, I don't have the words to say. And he's going to put his hand on Jeremiah and provide him the words to speak. So all it takes is Jeremiah to say, yes, Lord. And God says, okay, here are the tools that you need to accomplish this purpose I've set before you. And there's never going to be an instance where God is calling Jeremiah to do this and then saying, all right, figure it out. Because that's, it, it, that's not how God operates. God instead is going to call him, and, and all it takes is that yes. And he's going to say, okay, here are the tools you need, my son, to accomplish this purpose. And so I just think that's such a, a kind of cool um, moment there with Jeremiah where, where God is just really being faithful in that. Um, and this is great. You know, I think there's so much to learn from Jeremiah. It's so cool to take a look. But at, at the end of the day, you know, it's a prophet who was called 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. What does that really mean for us today, sitting in Portland, Oregon, you know, in, in the year 2019? And I, I think there's so much that we can take from this. You know, I, I first off do just want to put that caution out there. Don't hear me saying, hey, there's one specific job, one specific vocation, one specific path. And if you don't get it exactly right, then you're in the wrong. You know, I, I'm not saying that. But God absolutely has a purpose for your life. As general or specific as that may look person to person, God has called you to something greater. He has created you for a specific purpose and is equipping you to fulfill that purpose. So I, I, I think the, the first thing we can translate to ourselves is this idea of being deeply known. God is the creator. God developed you. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knows you and deeply loves you. And so my question out of that would be, do you believe that you are deeply known? Are you living like you're deeply known? If we truly have this idea in our mind that the creator of the universe knows us, loves us, and has a purpose for us, that changes everything. It changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way that we approach important decisions in our life. And so that's my question I, I, I would love for you guys to ponder on, is do you truly live and believe like you are deeply known by the creator of the universe? 
So I think that's uh, such a, a cool thing to ponder. Um, and kind of the, the thing I would want to, to leave you with and kind of that, that tipping point moment for Jeremiah is this idea of obedience. Because once you get to that point where you believe in God's purpose for your life, living a life of purpose becomes living a life of obedience. And I think if you live into that, that's where you can find the power to fulfill the purpose that God has called you for with the proper tools. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dallas. I think if we don't start with identity, what are we doing, right? I'm so glad that you started there. The story that uh, I get to talk about today is a story that begins and ends with identity all the way. And I cannot wait to talk to you about the story of Abigail. But first I want to ask, do you even know the story of Abigail? The story of the woman who saved a people group from complete annihilation. Have you heard this story? I grew up in church. I grew up going to every vacation Bible school known to man. And if there wasn't one, we created one and we called it Home Church. And it was the best. Uh, but I didn't know the story of Abigail before I was given this opportunity. And man, there's identity written all over it. I can't wait to break it down. If you want to turn to 1 Samuel 25, you can. It is a lot, so we're not going to read it all because I only have 10 minutes, but we're going to break it down a little. I, as you turn, I'll begin and give you a little bit of context. 1 Samuel 25 starts with David before he was King David. So before he was King David, there was another one on the throne, and his name was Saul. And he hated David so much because Saul wanted to be God's only anointed king forever. But it was very clear that God had other plans. So Saul was trying to kill David, and David was on the run. He was on the run with about 600 men. And they went from town to town, from cave to cave, from city to city. And they would work and protect people in order for payment. And so where we find David in 1 Samuel 25 is in the town of Carmel. He had just, him and his men had provided protection for a man named Nabal. And they were coming to... Um, receive their compensation. It was harvest time and they came to this wealthy sheep farmer, Nabal, and said, hey, we're ready to get our compensation. And Nabal responded by hurling insults at them, by responding with violent speech, with anger, and saying no. So David's men took this message back to David and David was so furious that he strapped on his sword and he told 400 of his 600 men to strap on their swords and they were gonna go annihilate Nabal and his family and his land and everything, which is what I call an overreaction. <laughs> I, I, I understand that Nabal did the wrong thing, but I don't know if, and I don't know how big Nabal's family was, but 400 people with swords is outrageous to me, which usually that happens when you try to take matters into our own hands. When we try to avenge ourselves, we usually overreact and take the whole PTA board down to this little second grader that hurt that kid. Uh, or maybe your story is your own. But um, anyways, so in this story, we are going to see how God meets David in his anger, how God meets and deals with Nabal in his foolishness, and how God uses this ordinary but incredible woman named Abigail to do extraordinary things. So let's pick back up. Um, Abigail is a woman who speaks on behalf of injustice. She speaks identity into David and his men, and she becomes influential in David and his men turning from a ragtag bunch of cave dwellers 
into eventually a mighty king's entourage. So we pick back up in um, verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, that David sent messengers from the desert um, to give greetings, but he hurled insults at them. So a servant went to Abigail because the servant heard that David and his 400 men were coming with swords to annihilate. So in verse 18, it says that Abigail lost no time. This is an incredible woman. She heard about the injustice of her husband. She heard about the injustice and potential annihilation of David, or from David and his men, and she lost no time acting. She entered into the crisis. She entered into the mess, and she began sending gifts to David. She sent, you can see there in verses 18 how um, she sent a lot of things. And in verse 20 it says, Abigail came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine. There were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. So we have David and 400 men with swords descending down a mountain, and Abigail on a donkey <laughs> on behalf of her people. She is there, and she meets him. Um, this was one woman with no status except for the title of married to a fool. This was her family. She was married to a fool who disrespected the future king of Israel. But Abigail didn't hide behind her family's reputation. She didn't hide behind the sins of her family. We often think the sins of our family define us and hold us back for what God has in store for us. But let me tell you today that God is a God who redeems broken things. God is a God who restores your identity, and Abigail lived this out right here. She didn't hide behind the foolishness. She came on her donkey to meet men descending down a mountain. Maybe that has been your story. Maybe you don't believe that your marriage will last because you have seen broken marriage after broken marriage. Or maybe you don't believe that your words can be honoring to God because the words of your family are violent and hateful and destructive. Maybe there's a different something that you have hidden behind from your family, a generational sin or circumstance. But I want to tell you that just like Abigail was able to get in front of that and confront something extraordinary, God can use that in your life as well. He can use you for the same. God is in the business of using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And the first extraordinary thing that she did was ride solo to confront 400 men coming out from her family to meet them. The second thing that we see her do is really approach David. When she came, she didn't know what she would find. She didn't know if she would just be torn apart in seconds. Um, she didn't know if she would be killed for being married to Nabal, the fool, um, or just for being a woman in society in general that didn't have a ton of status or respect. But she went, and David listens. This is the second extraordinary thing that she does, which is she uses her words wisely. She very easily could have come in and started blaming Nabal too, saying, I know I married a fool. I'll lure him into the field, then you can kill him and I'll keep all the riches or we'll divvy it up or something. She easily could have contributed to the panic, but she did not do that. Proverbs 15 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Gentle doesn't mean weak. And boldness doesn't mean that you have to speak louder. But Abigail came with gentle words, but with boldness and firmness. And she spoke to David. She trusted that God would use her words of wisdom, of peace, and of the identity that Dallas just talked about. It is clear that the words that she had 
came from her identity, like what Jesus said in Matthew 12. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's clear in this passage, you can read in verses 23 through 31, that her words are come from an overflow of her heart that trusts God of who he says he is and who he said that David was. She firmly rooted herself in the words of the Lord. So when she confronts him, she tells David not to be distracted by the foolishness of Nabal. She reminds them that his job is not to avenge himself and take matters into his own hands, but that he is the future anointed king of Israel. She says, David, remember who God is and remember who God says you are and what he has called you to do. You don't need to take matters into your own hands because God is the one who is in control. So the amazing part of the story is that David takes her at her word and forgives Nabal. He and his men turn right around and go back up the mountain and leave Abigail to go back to her family in peace. The fast forward to the end of the story is that Nabal dies a few days later and Abigail marries David, which is precious. Aaron's daughter, Valentine was like, I hoped they would get married, <laughs> which is very sweet. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool, but if I could draw a conclusion from this story, after God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, it's this, that we all need to step out into deeper belief. There are many things that could have held Abigail back but there are multiple times in this story that Abigail steps into deeper belief that God is a God who uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I believe that that is all of us here today. I believe that there is something that every single one of us can step into deeper belief about. Maybe for you, it's that you need to start believing God for your identity, that you need to step out of whatever your last name is, whatever your family drama is, whatever your family history is, and you need to step into the identity of God's chosen one, of God's redeemed son or daughter. Maybe that's what you need to do today. God knows you and loves you, like Dallas said, and he wants you to know him too. He is actively pursuing you. Do you need to step out from behind the curtain of fear and of doubt and of shame and into the freedom that comes from knowing God personally? Or maybe you need to step out of words of hate and destructiveness and into gentle, but not weak, firm um, words that bring God glory. Maybe you need to step out from this vocabulary and into a new one that brings God honor in everything, that builds each other up and that turns away wrath. Maybe you need to remember what God has called you to. Maybe you need to remember what God has spoken to you about your life about who he's asked you to be. Maybe you need to step out of complacency and intention and into who God has made you to be. And maybe you need to step into deeper faith and deeper belief. Maybe you need to believe God for big things. Maybe there's this one thing that you keep saying, God, you would never ask me to do that. Or you couldn't ever actually really do that, could you? Abigail, this woman, believed that God would rescue and redeem her from 400 men descending down a mountain with swords. And God did. And we have access to that same faith in the same God that Abigail did. So maybe you don't see 400 men with swords, but maybe you see something in Portland. Or maybe you see your family or a job or a situation where you don't even know how God could do something extraordinary. Let me remind you that we serve a God who uses ordinary people like you and ordinary people like us 
and an ordinary church like Spring of Life to do extraordinary things in this city. My encouragement to you is to have courage, to be released from your past, to speak with wisdom, and to believe that God can use us all to accomplish extraordinary tasks right here today. Love you guys. Thank you for having us today. Kind of like Audrey, I wasn't super familiar with the story of Abigail, but man, she's my hero now, and I want to be Abigail when I grow up. <laughs> so, my name is Jason Sperlin. Uh, Dallas said, oh, I've been coming to church here for a few years. Well, this is my first Sunday here. Uh, I'm the new official college pastor on staff, and I started on Monday, and I've been learning so much, and I'm excited to finally be here, and we're going to go after uh, Portland State, because we believe God for the big things and the big promises. And so... When I say that word promise, think about it. What comes to mind when I say the word promise? Some of you, you, you perk up. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Other of you are sour. <clears throat> For all of us, it's the same bag of mixed emotions and mixed feelings, right? There's promises that you made. And you, you let people down. Or there's promises that someone said, hey, I will do this for you. I got you. I promise. And you're like, cool, cool. And then they disappoint you. Or maybe there's a promise that you actually forgot you made until I'm speaking right now. And you're like, oh, I should probably text them that I didn't forget. <laughs> you're welcome. I'll give you that one for free. There's some promises that, that people fulfill. And we're like, man, that brought so much joy. That meant the world to me. That deepened our friendship. Well, for all of us, we felt all of those. We've been all over the spectrum with those promises. And often, I think we take these promises from people and project them onto the character of God. We say, man, someone let me down. Well, God's going to let me down then. I, I broke a promise, therefore God's got to, he's going to forget something too. And we project our faults onto who God is and what he says he will do. Well, I, what I want us to do is let's, let's not speak for scripture. and Let's let scripture speak for itself. Let's go to the scripture today and see what does scripture say about God and his promises. Will he disappoint us like we do? Or will he uphold everything that he says? So we're, we're going to start in Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. It's actually the last verse of this chapter. And it reads like this, Joshua 21, 45. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Now I loved it. It said not one of all of the Lord's good promises. And I did a quick word study on this word promise. In Hebrew, we read it in English as promise, but in the Hebrew, does it mean promise? And the answer is no. The Hebrew word here is speech or language or words. I find it interesting, the correlation between God and his words. We as people, I think we tend to use words to trick, to deceive, to manipulate, and occasionally edify and build up, right? We use our words to kind of get what we want. But we see here that God's words are his promises. When he speaks, God only speaks in absolute promises. This is the character of who God is. And I just want to examine just one of his promises 
There are so many. We could do a like 10 sermon series on God's promises. So I just want to look at one. And it's tucked in this chapter in verse 12. And it says that the villages and the surrounding fields of this city was given to a man named Caleb. And we could just brush over that and continue on and say, hey, I did my Devo. Check. But there's something here to be noticed about this man, Caleb. The question is, who is Caleb? What's his resume? Well, Caleb is an old school Israelite. He's like an OG, right? Like he's been from the beginning with the Israelites. Like people hear about Moses, like that dude Moses, legend. He lived with Moses. He held conversations with Moses. He served with Moses. Moses appointed him as a spy because he was a representative of his tribe. He was a warrior. He was a man of great status. He was reliable. He escaped Egyptian captivity. He went through the sea that was parted. And now he's an old man. So we're going to flip to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. That's where we're going to stay the rest of today because we want to understand who Caleb is and what God's promise was to Caleb. What's the big deal about him getting this land? So we'll spend the rest of our time in Numbers 13 and 14. And I'm just going to uh, just kind of summarize these chapters because it's a lot of verses. But uh, near the end of uh, Numbers 13, Moses appoints 12 warriors, 12 soldiers to go spy out this land for about 40 days. And one of the people that he appoints is Caleb. He sends them out to, to give a report, and they get back, and 10 out, of the, 10 out of the 12 spies were like, man, you should see it has milk and honey. It is flowing. It's beautiful. The trees have these fruits. They taste so good. This land is awesome. However, did you see the people living there? Like, dude, if we, if we go after these people, we're going to die. Let's just stay here and call it good. And Israel's like, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, good idea, good idea. And Caleb's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. I saw the milk, I saw the honey, I saw the trees, I saw the fruit, and I saw the enemy. But I think we can take them. Caleb saw the same thing as the other spies, but he saw it with a different perspective. He saw it through a different lens. So chapter 14 starts with the people of Israel not saying, yeah, let's go conquer. Instead, they turn their back on the leadership of Moses. They said, hey, yeah, let's listen to these guys. Let's just stay here. Let's not follow Moses. And what Caleb said, that's garbage. And I think God actually made a mistake. God, God should have kept us in Egypt. So they started doubting where God was leading them. They started doubting leadership. They're saying God made a mistake. But now it's, the, it's time for God to speak for himself. How will he answer the Israelites? So we'll be in Numbers chapter 14. Verse 23 and 24. And this is God's response to all this turmoil. God says, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one has treated me with contentment will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Notice God's description of Caleb and his faith. Wasn't partial, wasn't lukewarm, wasn't mediocre, it was what? Wholehearted. 
Everything that Caleb was, was after the Lord. And the Lord acknowledged that. We, didn't, we don't see Caleb see a promise from the Lord and then say, cool, I saw the promise, now I'm going to follow. Caleb said, no, I'm going to follow the Lord, and then I'll see that promise. Caleb walked in this faith. And in this promise that the Lord gave Caleb wasn't just for Caleb. It was bigger than Caleb. This promise would outlive Caleb. It was for his descendants. It's for his kids' kids, his great-grandkids. This was bigger than just him. It was for futures to come. Oftentimes, I catch myself, if I'm being honest, seeking a promise before I seek Jesus himself. I come and I say, hey, God, God, show me that promise, and I'll show you my faith. And God's like, whoa, Jason, hang on. What if you show me your faith? Then I'll show you my promise. I seek the blessings and the promises of God rather than God himself. If we as a church want to see this promise of God fulfilled, then we need a church, not a people who just come and attend a service on a Sunday morning. We need a church of people who wholeheartedly follow and know Jesus. If you want to see God's promises in your life starting to play out, you need to live a life of sold-out devotion. We see this six times Caleb is described as following the Lord. And the word that he's described with six times is the word wholeheartedly. It wasn't just once. It was six different times. Caleb was a man after the heart of God and not just his blessings or his promises. As I was doing this study, I always try to let speak, Scripture speak to me first before I speak it out to others. And I was reading this, and I started to think, if people were to describe Jason, if they were to describe me and my desire to follow Jesus, how would they describe it? Would they say, man, that, Jason, he, he's a seasonal kind of Jesus follower. He's a convenient Jesus follower. He's kind of fake. Or would they say, man, he's genuine. He's passionate. He follows Jesus wholeheartedly. Because we see that's the way they describe Caleb. So how would people describe you and your faith? So we see this, this promise made here in the book of Numbers. This promise has been made. So you think Caleb would start looking around like, cool, the Lord spoke this promise over me. I'm going to get this land. Everything's going to be good. It's going to be for my descendants. should be coming any, any day now. I'm excited. And I'm ready for it, right? Well, that's not the case. We know according to the text that Caleb was 40 years old when God spoke this promise over him. But fast forward, we see in Joshua 14 that it didn't take one month, a year, two, 10 years, 20 years. It took 45 long years for this promise to be fulfilled. Could you imagine Someone, a friend calls you 45 years later, hey, you know that promise? Ready to do it. You're like, what? Right? It's like, that's crazy. I would totally forget about it. Caleb spent 40 years 
years out in the desert wandering with the Israelites, waiting, honestly, for people to die so he could go into the promised land. So the 40 years goes by, he's like, oh, thank goodness everyone's gone, right? And he goes in, and then there's still five more years of war before he can actually obtain this property. So now Caleb is not a 40-year-old spy and soldier, yet he's an 85-year-old man who has the spirit of a 40-year-old. Because if you look at the text, you're like, hey, I'm ready to go fight, I'm ready to go, I might be old, but I'm ready to go. And he's this old man now, and he approaches the leader of the Israelites, he goes, hey, 45 years ago, God spoke this promise over me, and you were there, and you heard it too. It's time for that promise to be fulfilled. He remembered the promise from all those years ago. Why? Because Caleb knew God's character. He knew that God only spoke in promises. When God speaks, he speaks in promises. If you're here today and you're like, Jason, man, I'm waiting on this promise. Well, you're not the first one in history, and I want to say you're not alone. Brothers, sisters, if you're, if you're waiting on this promise from the Lord to be fulfilled, don't let go. Don't lose faith. Hold on and continue to follow Jesus. It's not if the promise, but when. If we want to make an impact, if we want to see these promises fulfilled in the city of Portland, in our families, in your marriages, in our friendships, in the places where you work, in the places where we play, we must first start here with a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus and the character of God. Today, what kind of pursuit of Jesus do you have? Maybe it's a non-existent one. Maybe you haven't came into that relationship yet. Well, there's a promise right on the other side of that, coming into a relationship. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and you're like, man, I don't really know. what My pursuit isn't where I want it to be. Well, then the next one is, how can you wholeheartedly follow Jesus? The first question is to diagnose where you're at. The second question is to implement change. You're like, hey, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm at. But this is, this is where I want to be wholeheartedly following Jesus. So how can you wholeheartedly follow the Messiah? Then lastly, if you're in the midst of waiting, please, I want to encourage you, remain faithful. Continue to press on. And what can you do to remain faithful in that season of waiting? A season of waiting does not mean a season of wasting. Don't mistake us. Jesus will fulfill every promise that he made. And when we, as a church, here in the city of Portland, in 2019, follow the resurrected Messiah, we can rest assured that not one, not one of the Lord's good and faithful promise will fail. Every single thing that the Lord has ever spoke will come to pass. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that we are celebrating two years of church here in the heart of downtown Portland. 
where people say you can't last six weeks. Here we are, Lord, in your faithfulness. And so, God, we just thank you for the songs and the words that were sang over us. God, we thank you for the messages that we heard. And, God, I pray that we would be a church believing in the big things because we serve a big God. God, let us not be afraid to ask for the impossible. God, the city is yours. This church is yours. So, Lord, if, when you spoke today over your congregation, Lord, I pray that it would stick and that we would meditate upon your word. We thank you that you have called us your chosen people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's been a great day. Uh, Jason, when he was preaching a minute ago, said, and Caleb was just waiting for people to die. And I heard someone go, creepy. <laughs> but what a great reminder. I love uh, just the freedom that we experience here in the body of Christ, reminding us that church is the ecclesia, the called out people of God, who gather in his name to make disciples and disciple one another. And uh, I love the characters that we heard about today. I love that Jeremiah reminds us to believe God for his purpose. I love that Abigail reminds us to trust God for identity. I love that Caleb reminds us to trust God for God's promises. And I also love the characters that we got to hear them from today as each of these people is being discipled intentionally in this ministry to be a disciple maker. And that's really the heartbeat. That's the heartbeat, and that's really what you're invited into today. Jesus never calls us to just be disciples. He calls us to be disciple makers. And the big thing I'm believing God for is that you would say yes to taking a step forward to being a disciple maker and to know that you are not alone. That's why we exist. Today we remember that all the good promises of God are fulfilled in the person of Jesus, the promise of fulfillment, the promise of eternal life, the promise of a hope that overcomes the darkest darkness, a promise that you can be who you were made to be in Jesus. And today we remember that. In the scripture, Jesus gives us a wonderful model. He tells us that when we come together, we come to the family table, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. In remembrance of him, we break the bread. And when we break bread, we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us, that we might find fullness and healing in Jesus. And then we come to the cup, and we remember the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf, that when we are plunged into Jesus, we are washed as clean as snow. And so, as Jesus said, today we will receive those elements together for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, as he commands in remembrance of him. Because when we remember, we remember who he is, we remember who we are in him. We remember that our future is bright in him. We remember his kingdom is coming and has already come among us when we trust Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then as the Spirit leads, we're going to continue in worship. Uh, I'll be at the family table in the back to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as the Spirit leads, if you're a committed member of the body of Christ, we invite you to join us. I really encourage you to take these few moments as we bow our heads to prepare your heart for this, to repent of any sins that um, might be heavy on your heart today, to trust Christ yet again, and to honor this moment as we honor Christ. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we receive your word with gladness today. We take a pause to remember who we were when you found us. That we are the one that you and your sovereignty are pursuing through the ages. By the blood of Christ, we've been 
cleansed by the Spirit of God were quickened to life. In the resurrection, Jesus reminds us that there is no darkness that you cannot overcome. There is no chain that you cannot break. And today in you, we are free. We are free people who've been set free to live in this freedom for our good, but mostly for your glory. So Jesus, today, would you be with us and go with us as we seek to disciple a city? We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And God's people said together, amen. So as the Spirit leads, I invite you to join us at the family table to receive the elements again. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.